Don't you love that name this morning? Name above every other name. The only name given whereby we can be saved. Not even your own name will save you. But the name of Jesus will bring salvation to your heart. Well, I'm glad you're here today. I've tried preaching to empty pews, and it's a whole lot easier when there are people here. Um, I just appreciate you coming today, and gluttons for punishment, you came back for another round. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for it. And uh, we're blessed to be together. We're blessed to have the Word of God. And I want to take you back this morning to Luke chapter 11, and we're going to continue there. As we started last week, we're going to revisit the request of the disciples as they open chapter 11 here with these words, Lord, teach us to pray. Last week, we looked at the lesson or the pattern of prayer. We looked at the fact that prayer is relational. And I, I, I want us to understand Everything that has anything to do with prayer is based first upon our relationship with God, our relationship with the Father. We looked at this prayer. Prayer is relational, and that foundational relationship is with God, our Father in heaven. Everything that follows in that prayer is predicated on that relational connection. And in today's lesson, as Jesus continued teaching us to pray, he builds on that premise. Now, as I looked at this passage, I entered it with uh, going into preparation with this preconceived interpretation in my mind that this is lesson, as it continues, is a lesson on persistence in prayer. We call it importunity. Just Continuing at the job. And I'm not going to release you from the job of prayer. But upon a deeper look into the passage as Jesus continues to teach us about this lesson. I believe it's teaching us and ongoingly more than just persistence in prayer. I believe it's a continuation of the lesson that he's been teaching the crux of that lesson is this connectional relationship with God our Father. Warren Wiersbe addresses this particular passage with these words. True prayer is based on sonship and not on friendship. This is not a parable so much teaching us about persistence in prayer as it is teaching us about the willingness of our God to care for his own. Let's look at the passage and ask the only one qualified to teach on the subject of relational prayer to show us the way. Verse 5 is where we pick up. We read to you and spoke to you last Sunday from the first four verses along the lines of the pattern of prayer. Today we speak about the relational connection to God through prayer. And Jesus said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. 
and he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now for many people, again, I say, and I did for a number of years, misinterpret what I believe to be a misinterpretation of this story by comparing God to the wrong person in this lesson. First of all, this friend is not a representative of God. This friend is disturbed. I don't believe this is a picture of God at all. Friend is not a term described to God, especially in the Old Testament, which would have been their understanding of Scripture. In the context of this statement, God is not your friend. Now, keep it that way, because I want to tell you, he becomes our friend through his son, Jesus Christ. He becomes a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Okay, But at this point in time, God is a bit removed. He's a bit austere. He's a bit distanced by a veil that hung between where he was and his presence and, uh, and the people of God. Maybe three or four times in the Old Testament, God is referred to as a friend. One was a friend of Abraham, and uh, a few other times he was referred to as a friend. But this friendship is not a representation of God. This friendship is not a representation of God's relational connection to us. And there are several reasons why I say this. Number one, God is not disturbed or troubled by our prayers. This neighbor, a friend, is visited by another friend who needs help in the middle of the night. And the man says, leave me alone, don't trouble me. Does that sound like God to you? That's not the God that I know. That's not the father that I love. God would never shame a person for calling out to him. He may refuse to answer based upon that person's continued disobedience. You have to understand relationship with God is based upon exactly that, relationship. Answers to prayer are based upon my relationship with God. There are some things that will automatically hinder my prayers. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. Husbands and wives, if we've got a thing going on that's not really the thing that's supposed to be going on, God will not hear us. If we're mistreating our spouses, several times in Scripture, the Lord says he's not going to hear us. But for most people, if you call to God in the middle of the night and you have this relational connection with him, he's not like this friend who's going to turn you away. This is not God. God is a friend, but not like this friend. Secondly, God doesn't run out of kindness. He said the door is now shut. God seldom shuts doors to keep us from reaching him. There was an occasion on the ark when the ark was built and everything was on the inside that the Lord shut Noah and his family in. But God did that to shut them in. Not just to shut other things out. There are times when God may shut a door in your life. But I promise you, if God shuts a door, he opens another door. That's the way God works. But this friend 
so-called friend, says, I'm shut in. Leave me alone. My children are with me in the bed. And he shuts them out. This is not a picture of God. God doesn't change in his purpose. Verse 8 says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Let me ask you something. If you pray louder or harder, does God pay more attention? Now, there comes a time when you may be desperate for an answer. And in your own desperation of spirit, you may call out to him more fervently. But just being persistent in prayer does not mean I'm going to get what I want. Amen? Doesn't change God's purpose. God's purpose will always be God's purpose. And he doesn't change simply because I'm persistent about that. Sometimes he does give us what we persistently plead for, but many times it's to our own detriment. I know there's a country song that was released several years ago, and the title of the song is a message in itself. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Right? I thank God for what? Unanswered prayers. Because had he given me what I wanted, my life would have been so different and been wrong. You remember the people of Israel, if you were to turn back in, in the, the writings of Samuel. They said, give us a king to judge us. They wanted a king. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said, all right, go ahead. Heed the voice of the people. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. In essence, when I persistently plead for my own way, I'm rejecting God's way. And that's what this nation did. And he said, all right, give them what they want. They lived to regret that day. God even told them on that occasion, you're going to cry out in that day because of the king that I give you. But the Lord's not going to hear you. Nevertheless, the people refused to back down and they persisted in their own desire. They went on begging. God said, all right, Samuel. Make them a king. Give them a king. They can have what they insist upon having. Persistence in prayer is not insistence. We need to make that distinction. Because when it becomes insistence, I'm insisting on having my rights. I'm insisting on having my way. I'm insisting that you do this for me right now, God. That's different than praying and praying and praying again. Coming back to that issue. Okay? Persistence in pleading may get us what we think we want. But that's the difference between a friend and a father. A friend that is disturbed, a faith that is determined. I'm not here, again, this morning to relieve you of the responsibility of hanging on in prayer. Praying through a situation. I'm not releasing you but you have to remember this whole lesson is one continuing lesson so we got to back up and make sure we remember the pattern of prayer prayer is number one relational our father who art in heaven is he your father i know a lot of people that pray but they'll turn right around and damn the name of god they pray but they really don't truly have a relational connection to god then they wonder why 
They don't get the answers that they desire. Because answers come through our ongoing relationship with the Father, not through our ongoing battering of the gates of heaven with our words of prayer. Prayer is relational. Prayer is reverent. We are humbled by his holiness. Holy is your name, or hallowed be your name. Prayer is relenting. We are surrendered to his will. Thy kingdom come. Too many of us would never say it in prayer, but through our arrogance and persistence, sometimes we pray, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as yours is in heaven. That's not the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. He taught us to pray a prayer of submission, a prayer of surrender. I relent, I relinquish my right to have my way in this situation. That's the pattern. Remember the purpose of prayer. Why do we pray? Why should we pray? Number one above everything else is connection with God. When you pray, you should pray with at least a part of your motive being, I want to know God better. And I want to know his will more vividly in my life. We do not pray to convince God. We do not pray to coerce God. We pray to connect with God. Again, I quote Warren Wearsby. I love reading his material. He says, the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. It's not my job to get my will accomplished in heaven. It's my job to see that God's will is done in my life on earth. Remember to persist in prayer. And Jesus gives us these in the next verses. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Remember to persist in prayer. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, and a drought came three and a half years. The Bible says, and he prayed again. Pray and pray again. I used to think as a child, and I often even think I remember hearing this. Maybe it's the way, maybe it wasn't said, maybe it's just what I heard. Okay, You ever get that? Sometimes things weren't said, but you heard that. Maybe this is what I just heard. But when Paul said pray without ceasing, that meant that you were constantly 24-7 in a state of prayer. Anybody ever hear that? That don't even make sense. That, that doesn't make practical, re, real sense. I love you. I'm learning to love you. But I'm going to tell you, if you call me at 2 o'clock in the morning and you have a need, and you say, Preacher Rex, would you pray for me? I'm going to throw some words together in a sentence or two or seven. And I'm going to loft them as high as I can get them. But i got to be honest with you, I am not in the spirit of prayer. I am not. Am I connected to the Father to whom I pray? Yes, relationally, I am connected. But am I constantly walking around 
mumbling under my breath, praying. No, it's not what it means. Pray without ceasing doesn't mean that you never tell a joke. You never enjoy a meal. You never enjoy time with family or friends. It doesn't mean that. It means that you pray and you pray again. And you pray again. You come back to that place of connection with God for your strength. Pray. Remember to persist. Ask. Because you need something. How long has it been since you asked God for something? Probably not very long, right? Most of us are quite comfortable with asking. Come boldly before the throne of grace. To find what? Mercy and grace. To help us in our times of need. Some of us are too proud to ask God, so we try to do it ourselves, and we make a mess out of it. If you need something, ask. Seek, because you're searching for something. What are you searching for in your life? Are there things that you're trying to find? This church has been on a journey, seeking a pastor, seeking the leadership of the Holy Spirit as to who should be their permanent, fixed, resident pastor. I think you should continue to pray about that. Something that we should bring before the throne of God. Is that persisting in prayer? No, it's, it's seeking. Lord, we need to find your leadership. We need to find your wisdom. We need to find your will. We need to find your purpose. If you seek wisdom, if you seek peace, if you seek answers, if you seek for something that you feel you've lost, continue to seek. Until God enables you to find it. It's part of prayer. Knock. Knock because you desire to see what is beyond the open door. Do not knock with the expectation that you know everything's beyond the open door. Knock with the expectation that you just can't see where God's leading you well, as long as you're behind that door. But leave the revelation up to him. Leave what's beyond the door up to him. Knock. We sometimes get frustrated by closed doors. Don't we? Closed doors are there for a reason. Sometimes what is on the other side of the door is not ready to be seen yet. You may have had that experience in your life where you opened the door and you went, oh, 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 I'm so sorry. You knocked, and then you just pushed the door open. My mother-in-law lived with us for a while. By the way, it is great to have my wife with us today. Thank you, Debbie. She's a, she's a real glutton for punishment. She's put up with me for over 30 years preaching, and she still comes back for more. I appreciate it. I really do. Her mother lived with us, and she was beginning into the stages of dementia. And when she got something on her mind, she was going to do that. And one night, I'm preparing for bed in my usual sleep attire, which is not a lot of pajamas and fluff, okay? Just, I'll leave it at that. And I'm preparing to go to bed, but she needs to talk to her daughter, who is already in bed. And she pecks on the door one time and just pushes the door open, and I'm standing here. She doesn't even see me. She's like, 
Debbie, you know, and starts talking to Debbie, and I'm like, Mom, I'm in my underwear. <laughs> you know? She said, oh, I don't need you. I need her. You know, that's... <laughs> Sometimes... What is beyond the open door or beyond the door that we're knocking on, the closed door, is not ready for us to see yet. Sometimes we're not ready to see what's beyond the open door. So what do we do? We just keep knocking. Not demanding our own way. Not demanding that God open the door. But knocking so he understands that we're interested in his response. Lord, we want you to open the door in your time. A faith that is persistent or ongoing, determined. Be determined in your praying, but not so much so that you're demanding in your praying. Jesus gives us a third point. Now, I, Jesus, greatest homiletician that ever lived. He knew how to preach and teach like none other. But I'm a simple preacher. I try to break it down so I can understand it. And usually about three or four points. Three, we go 45 minutes. Four points, we go an hour and a half. So just pray I never get a fourth point. <laughs> but number three, a father that is discerning. In verse 11, he said, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a serpent or a scorpion? The answer rhetorically is no. No good father would do that. If you then, being evil, being human, being sinful, being fallen, being touched by the curse, being limited in your abilities, if you then, as that kind of father, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your omniscient, all-wise, all-knowing, all-loving, heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is my father. That first picture of a friend, the one that left me outside, the one that was worried more about his own comfort than he was my need, the one who shut the door and wouldn't let me come in, that friend, that's not my God. That's not my father. My father is a good father. And he knows exactly what I need before I ask. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, when teaching the same concepts about prayer in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, he said, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Aren't you glad he already knows? So why ask? Because he delights in our asking. Ultimately, when I ask God 
for what he already knows I need. I'm announcing my dependence upon him and I'm deepening my relationship with him. And after all, prayer is about connection with God. Relationship with God. He knows what is best for me. He knows. I don't. Asking, seeking, and knocking is not considered vain repetition as long as it is not vain and as long as it follows the pattern of prayer. Vanity or vain repetition would be something that I just selfishly desire. That's empty. It's meaningless. Repetition, you understand that in Jewish culture, many of their prayers were developed into chants, and they would just repeat the same prayer over and over and over and over again. And it simply became ritualistic and liturgical rather than meaningful and relational. God said, I'm not interested in just your words. I want you to connect with me. Don't use vain repetitions. I know what you need. Ask me. Talk to me. Picture of this father is different than the picture of the friend because this father has a vested interest in the well-being of his children. He knows what's best. He wants what's best for me. All of us here want what's best for us. We don't know what's best for us, but we all want what's best for us. Can I tell you something? God wants that even more than we do. Can I tell you how willing God was to provide what's best for you? He sent his only begotten son to die on a cross to pay the penalty of your sin, to redeem you from the fall. He brought that son out of the grave. He seated that son at his own right hand, and that son is praying for us today. Why? Because the Father wants what's best for us, and he knew we couldn't do any of that for ourselves. So he provided the best in his son, Jesus Christ. That is our relational connection to the Father, and he gives us what is best for us. The gifts God gives are the best gifts. Jesus concludes this lesson on praying, saying that our Heavenly Father who knows what is best for us and wants what is best for us and gives what is ultimately best for us will give the Holy Spirit to all of us who ask. Why? Because God knows The Holy Spirit on the inside is worth everything else that we could ask for on the outside. God wants us to be filled with his Holy Spirit's presence. So he gives his spirit freely. Almost seems strange that this whole lesson on prayer concludes with that phrase. The Father giving the Holy Spirit to believers, to sons and daughters. But what better way for God to lead us in prayer, to teach us to pray, to answer the things that we pray about in this example prayer, than to put his spirit on the inside of us to govern our lives, to keep us connected to the Father, and to translate even those words that we don't know how to say at times into a language that God understands. 
There are times when we don't know what to say. We don't know how to pray. We're just asking. We're just seeking. We're just knocking. We don't even know why. But we're hungry. We're desperate. We're persistent. Aren't you glad we have one on the inside who knows what the Father knows? And he's able to translate that and make it meaningful to the Father. And the Father then, that's what the Holy Spirit means to you and to me. He lives, he's God on the inside, and he'll guide us, become the guiding force and factor in our lives. Lord, teach us to pray. Are you on a journey? I am. I want to go deeper in prayer, but I understand I can waste my time praying. I really can. If I'm praying, James said, you ask and you have not because you ask amiss. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to rely on you to guide me in truth. Would you bow your hearts with me today? My friend again, I know I'm preaching to most of you who've been in church much of your lives. But I'm asking you today the most important question of our life. Do I know God as my Father? Have I come to rest in faith in the work, the completed finished work of his son Jesus is God not just a universal father is he my relational father if you don't know that we have to start there talk to me let's talk about it our father in heaven holy is your name We honor the holiness of your name today and we honor the name of your son who grants us access into your presence and into your kingdom. We pray today that your kingdom will come and your will be done on earth in us as we surrender to your plan just like it is in heaven. Father, I thank you that you know what we have need of even before we ask. But today we ask for guidance and direction. We ask for your blessing. We seek your wisdom. We seek your counsel. We knock upon the door of your will. And we trust you in your time to open those doors. Because unto you belongs the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Make us better today, in Jesus' name.